This is Mackenzie Milton. This is Steve Levy from ESPN. And you're listening to One Night Stand. And you're listening to One Night Stand. One Night Stand. Hey, c'est condition ça qui t'est passé. Just One Night Stand. Avant toute bagaille t'est commencé. One Night Stand. Pas pensé que c'est ton style. This is One Night Stand. Presented by First Watch, the official breakfast and lunch sponsor of One Night Stand. What up, night fans? It's Wednesday, October 21st. On today's show, we go through, unfortunately, the Memphis lost 13-game win streak comes to an end, but there's a lot of positives to take away from that. DG for Heisman, he leads the NCAA in passing yards right now, and I think he's third in touchdowns, so we'll go through that. Uh, Mackenzie Milne back, running the scout team. We'll talk about him. And we have an awesome interview with Shark Tank alum and UCF alum, Jesse Wolf. Uh, he founded Odang Hummus. We talked about so many different things. And I know it's not athletics related, but I think you guys are really going to like this conversation. Also, DG for Heisman. Like always, Money Moves Picks. And speaking of, I'm here with... Money Mood, UCF came walking in Memphis looking for another victory and amassed an almost insurmountable 21-point lead. Dylan Gabriel showed us once again how great he is passing for a school record 601 yards and five touchdowns. But Memphis had our defense all shook up and left the Knights in the Heartbreak Hotel. Even though the over hit, I'm not sure how we will ever financially recover from this as Memphis finally pulls one over on the Knights, 50 to 49. You're getting really good at these. I caught. <laughs> let me, hold I on. like the puns. Man. No, it's, like so what puns. did we get there? We got Tony the Tiger. We got Walking in Memphis. We got Elvis Heartbreak Hotel. We got Tiger King. Tiger King. Well done. Well done. I, uh, whoa, man. I got like lost in that. I had um, to put a little positive spin, you know, start the show off with getting everybody laughing, maybe a little <laughs> smile. I, you know, I definitely needed that uh, after this weekend. Heartbreaking loss, but I'll just say it right now. I mean, we were due for this. And what's crazy is that I could name like five different things that could have happened and we wouldn't be having the same conversation. We would have won. But, you know, like we always say, we've been due for this. Uh, with all the you know kind of lucky wins that we've squeaked out over the last few years, these are the kind of losses that we were used to uh, back in the day. But you know, there's a lot of good takeaways. The offense looked good. Dylan Gabriel is breaking school records every single game. I guess back to the game though, real quick. You know, second straight game blowing a 21 point lead. You know, we're up 35-14, and uh, we just let him. Get back in it, and uh, you know, credit to Memphis. They played really well. They never quit. Um, I still don't know how we blew a twelve-point lead with like six minutes left. Uh, well, actually, I, I do, and and I'll talk about that later. But let's start off first. I think with Dylan Gabriel because you know it, there, this whole debate's going on right now with people. Everyone's either like saying they're upset. And they demand better. Or there's this whole other people like, whoa, we used to be 0-12. You know, it could be worse. And I think both are true. But let's just take a second and and be thankful for the fact that we have Dylan here. You know, because a lot of the time you're lucky, you're blessed with one good quarterback. And you don't get another one for 
you know, five years, 10 years, a decade. So, you know, he's lead the league in passing yards, like third in touchdowns. And uh, I think we got to go all in on, on the Heisman campaign from here on out. Absolutely. Well, I think, too, you know, it's a team game and not everything can has to land on Dylan's shoulders. You know, the defense, whether it be through injuries or opt outs, there's definitely something missing there. Yeah. Um, geez, man, uh, a couple of these guys and look, I know these kids are young. They're just getting thrown in there, but, uh, the lack of experience in, in the defensive backfield is, was definitely exposed and Hey, I mean, there's nothing we can do. We just got to keep trying to get better, but I think you're right. We're definitely, we're definitely feeling a lot of those, those opt outs and, uh, yeah. What do you do? You know, I think, um, I think hype called a, a great game for the most part. There was a little clock management, but I mean, you can't, you know, the offense scored a lot. And then, you know, if you look at, if if you look at the defense, I mean, they played over a hundred snaps, which is insane. And then, you know, they give up that touchdown when we're up 12, that was a long drive. And then we go three and out and run almost no time off the clock. And then they're back out on the field for, you know, plays like 90 through 104 or whatever we ended up getting to. And I mean, those guys had to have been gassed by then. So yeah, anytime that a defense allows another team to go five for five on fourth down conversions, you could go back to any one of those fourth downs. You know, if we let them go four for five, we'd be talking about another UCF win. Yeah. Or if we, you know, fourth and goal uh, at the beginning of the game, if we got that, you can, and I'm not, but you could blame the kicking. Although, here's what I saw, is I saw us, you know, twice where we could have kicked field goals. One was the the play I just mentioned, fourth and four, fourth and goal from the four. But we had a fourth and six from the, I think, 32-yard line, maybe fourth and seven, and decided to go for it. And I like being aggressive, but, you know, when you pass up on field goal opportunities early in the game, and then you decide to just put it all on on a, a kicker's shoulders that doesn't have that much experience. I mean, I can't blame him for missing that. You know, especially that that fourth and six or fourth and seven, it would have been like a about a forty forty two yard field goal. And uh, you know, if we if we go for that and he makes it, I think well, we well, would clearly ha- not automatic, not automatic, but still. I mean, when you you know, kickers are paying attention. They know when it's fourth and whatever. They know the field position. They're ready to go with their helmet, you know, standing by the coach. And when they don't call your number, you know, that, that doesn't make you feel good. And then to, you, to put all that pressure on his back at the end of the game, uh, you know, just isn't fair. So, I, you know, I, I don't blame him, but that could have went differently and we could have won. Another thing, too, our second to last drive, the long touchdown drive, we were moving the ball. And we were in field goal range, up six. So even if we kick a field goal, we're up nine. We're going to be up two scores almost no matter what. We end up scoring a touchdown, though. But once we got into the red zone, we snapped the ball with 26 seconds, 12 seconds, and 15 seconds. Now, on third down, which we didn't convert, we snapped it with two left. But that's almost a minute that we didn't run down the clock. And when you're about to go up two scores with like five and a half minutes left, the clock is your friend, and you want to give them as little time to score twice as possible. 
I just can't believe we snapped the ball that quick. Again, that's one of a million things that, uh, you know, if we had done correctly, any one of them, we would uh, be having a different conversation right now. Yeah, that didn't make much sense to me either. You know, I, I'm on vacation right now, so it's kind of hard to <laughs> to pay to really pay attention to the game. You know, it was my wife's birthday on Saturday, so she did allow me to go to a bar and watch the game, um, which is very nice. <laughs> Thank per- you. Permission to watch. <laughs> permission to watch football team. You have a show about. How nice of her. Now, it's, <laughs> hey, happy wife, happy life, man. I, I get it. But uh, no, it was a good time, and um, you know, I I I just feel as though it was one of those games where every single thing went Memphis's way. You know, even though they did have a few key turnovers, they did have you know a lot of points given up. But for how many games in the past that stuff has gone not their way at all? Yeah. And I mean, uh, even toward the end, uh, when we got the ball back up or yeah, up five, our first two plays, we ran it. It was third and seven and Dylan threw a pass. He was getting blitz and he had to get rid of it. And Harris like dropped it and then it landed on his stomach. It was a tough, it was a tough catch. Let me say it was way underthrown, but Dylan had to just toss it up because he's about to get sacked uh, from an unblocked blitzer. But he almost caught it, and then it like stayed on his stomach, and he went to grab it, and then it fell off. And if we get that first down, that's pretty much game over because Memphis only ended up scoring with about a minute left. And, uh, you know, true UCF fashion, we, we gave ourselves another shot, and we, we came up just short, unfortunately. However, there was no shortage of big plays by UCF. Ryan O'Keefe now holds the school record for longest – Receiving touchdown at 93 yards. Only definitely got a chance to see the future of wide receiver U. Yeah, uh, even though only like eight of those yards were in the air on the screen pass, but whatever. That's also the longest passing touchdown in all of college football right now, actually. Um, Marlon Williams, by the way, is number two in college in receiving yards and number two in receptions as well. But yeah, between O'Keefe, Marlon, and uh, J Flash. I mean, those were the, clearly the main three receivers on Saturday, and uh, it's it it's good to see you know that we've got more talent filling in. And when those guys are the number ones, I'm sure they'll be even better or even more uh, talent filling in behind them. I guess let's get this out of the way real quick. Scuffle at the end, guys. Emotions are high. It happens. People care. Their teammates. They, you know, they love each other. I'm sure they hash it out. I don't think there's any need to uh, to bash anyone in this situation. I mean, how would you feel if you're the kicker, and and how would you feel if you know you're, you're the teammate or whatever? It's 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 tough, and uh, you know stuff happens, especially when uh, you know when when you're with these guys all the time. Emotions are high, and uh, you know it's an important game for us. So I, I don't fault anyone there. Uh, hopefully, no. We, I mean, we, it's all it's all heat of the moment stuff. Yeah. You know, uh, every one of us, including you and I have said and done some things that we wish we wouldn't have done. Oh yeah. Um, at the, <laughs> dur- during football. So yes, that is true. You know, it, it, uh, I'm sure now at this point, they've both talked about it. You know, they're still kids too. I mean, yeah, 
Obarski is what, 19, 20 years old? Like, probably. Yes. How much dumb crap have we done when we were 19, 20? Um, I think I did more in my 20s, know, like, but I know what you're saying. <laughs> emotions run high, and I think the camera just caught a bad, you know, take of that. So, yeah. I guess we'll just leave it at that. I'm sure they had a chance to cool off. And, um, yeah, I'm sure it'll know, be we're fine. All, we're all in this together. So we'll move on to the next one and we march on towards, uh, Tulane. Uh, one other thing offensive line played really well, in my opinion. Uh, I didn't see, I don't think I saw any pre snap penalties. And I thought they passed blocked pretty well. Run blocking was okay. Uh, I still don't think we've seen our best run game yet at all. But it was good to see them clearly iron out all the kinks over the bye week. I would agree. They had a big turnaround from the week before. It was nice to see not so many pre-snap penalties. So Yeah, there was a lot of penalties toward the end on both for both teams. It felt like that final... Five minutes. I think there were like 10 penalties, or at least something close to that. Some silly ones, but hey, it is what it is. Anything else from the game? Uh, you know, like I said, I think coaching overall was definitely better play calling wise. I guess that's a results based opinion, but you know, at the end of the day, uh, Memphis was going to beat us eventually, and uh, yeah, I. You know, I guess all all good things might as around. well might as well be in the season that doesn't really count. Yeah, there you go, there you go. Um, <laughs> so we still have an outside shot to win the conference. We need SMU to like win out, and then like everyone else to beat each other. But it's still a possibility. And with how hey, this season's gone so far, were who you, that knows? Were you looking at Were you looking ahead to Money Moves picks? No, I didn't. I I didn't even look <laughs> at them actually. I just I copied and pasted them into our notes, but I didn't read them. So. Uh, but I I like that. I like that a little foreshadowing. Um, other college football doesn't really matter, but FSU uh, beating number five. Who? I mean, this year's weird. They're they're not like a real number five team, but they beat uh UNC, which is interesting. It'd be fun to play them at a bowl game, or uh, or the Gators. I think so too. Another fun score from this past week was Georgia Tech getting absolutely annihilated by Clemson uh, at home. Yeah, which, that what I mean, was. I it? think we realize now that Georgia Tech is not good. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so we shouldn't have given up that many points to them, but whatever. Yeah. Um, and meanwhile, to the West. Our friends in West Florida lose to Temple 39-37. Closest they've gotten to a win against a FBS school this year. Uh, actually, their quarterback did pretty well. 182 yards and three touchdowns, no picks for McLeod. So maybe they get some continuity going there. But yeah, hey, hey, could be worse. You know, Look over your left shoulder over to, uh, to Tampa, West Florida Community College. But yeah. their upcoming schedule, they have Tulsa. That's a loss. Memphis loss. Dude, if Houston they lost, if they beat Tulsa, maybe lost. I mean, we have to root for them to beat Tulsa, don't we? Yeah, we do. <laughs> I mean, if we really want to root for the conference championship, we need Tulsa and 
We have two losses, so that means, and they have the tiebreaker. So Tulsa and Memphis would both need three losses, or one of them could be in first place, and we could be the second. Okay, we're gonna need a miracle, but it's okay. We got something to look forward to. A little Birmingham Bowl. I mean, if we played Florida State in the Birmingham Bowl, I would be satisfied. I would say. Well, it depends on the outcome, but yeah. <laughs> um. Next up this week, we've got our second home game, Tulane, who was sneaky good. They almost beat SMU in overtime, and I'll tell you what, this is not going to be an easy game. Well, first of all, I don't think we have any more easy games this season, but Tulane has looked good, and you know they didn't lose to us by that much last year, even though it was kind of a backdoor cover. I think it was like nine points. So yeah, it should be a good game. And hopefully the weather's a little better than the last time. So if you guys are going there, definitely enjoy. Somehow, some way, the line opened up UCF minus 18 and then decided to go down in our favor to minus 20. So if you use the same you know, formula that I use for my normal picks, even though I will not be betting this, I would have Tulane as an official pick. That just seems like too much. I mean, we just beat... It's way too much. Yeah. We're... Yeah. I'm not betting I mean, unfortunately, it. Unfortunately, but... I'm not betting it. I'm just telling it like it is. The 20 points is way too much for Tulane. What are they, 3-2? and two, And both their losses are by three points. Well, we're 2-2, two and two, and both our losses were by small amount of points one and eight <laughs> yeah i don't know yeah anyway no, not, not gonna don't be bet on us this week i mean we're one and right now we're one and three against the spread yeah not looking like i you know 20 is a lot so all right let's do our interview with jesse wolf he is a shark tank alum ucf alum entrepreneur founded odang hummus the hummus conglomerate Odang dressing. Anyway, so many awesome stories. Uh, I really hope you guys listen to this and enjoy it because I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. So let's do it. All right, guys. So we're here with a legendary guest. It is Jesse Wolf. He is an entrepreneur. He is a UCF alum. He is a Shark Tank alum. He is a new TikTok star. And he is the founder of Odang Hummus, which is now just Odang Foods, and we will get into that. He's got the MVP Business Podcast and most recently the Wolfpack Fitness Support Group. Jesse, thanks so much for joining. How are you doing, man? Bro, I'm doing good, and that was probably one of the greatest <laughs> greatest introductions I've ever had. I need to uh, clip this and then send it to everybody else uh, that I get introduced for. <laughs> hey, hey man, it's uh it was definitely well earned by you. Uh you know, over this last decade you've done a ton of awesome stuff and I'm so happy to call you a fellow UCF alumni. So let's start off with the Wolfpack first. I really want to talk about this. Yeah, so you know, in like December I came across, you know, I kept hearing about this app TikTok and just from a curiosity of a business standpoint I was like, man, is this going to be like Instagram 2.0? And this is like in December. So I got on, created an account. And like the first thing I realized was nobody I knew was on it. And I was like, well, that's kind of like liberating to some degree. <laughs> because 
I can be whoever I want to be on here. You know what I mean? I was like, man, I, I went into 2020, I think like most of us, right? Like really bright eyed and bushy tailed for like every year. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. And I was like, man, 2020 is going to be a, a big year for me. And I really wanted to focus on my health. So, you know, we all make mistakes and we all, you know, have uh, learning lessons from those mistakes. And one of mine was I really sacrificed a lot mm-hmm. earlier on in my, my professional entrepreneurship career. Uh, you know, getting Odang off the ground and one of which was my my own health. And I found myself over the last two years, especially at a desk for like the first time in my career, really. Ooh. And sitting on airplanes. Yeah. You know, you know, how it goes it's not, sitting on airplanes. not not conducive to uh, to fitness de- at all. Definitely. No, no, no. Yeah. So, you know, I was like, man, I'm out of shape. You know what I mean? And I've never been out of shape really in my whole life. So I was like, hey, I'm going to use this TikTok to just hold myself accountable and I'm just going to post every day. Like, so I started out, you know, January 1st going, I'm going to work out 30 days straight. I'm going to walk as best as I can. Cause I, like I said, I was really out of shape, um, for 30 days, no days off for 30 minutes, at least no, you know, nothing less, nothing crazy, nothing that. crazy, but it's good. You hold yourself accountable by posting the videos because then if you don't post one, people are like, Hey, what are you doing? Right. And, and literally I had like, you know, three followers, you know what I mean? But I was right. like, Hey, those three people. You know, like watch my video every day. So like, it's great. Nobody knows me. You know, nobody knows I'm doing this. Like, so it wasn't embarrassing or anything for me at the time. And uh, I just started doing it. I was like, man, I was like, it takes, you know, I think it's like 45 days to build a habit. So I'm like 30 days when you hit that 30 day mark, we'll address like, you know, what that comes. So I did that. You know, I got a few followers along the way that, you know, kind of were like, hey, dude, I'll hold you accountable. Will you hold me accountable? I was like, sweet. You know, so there's like a small group of us. Day 30 comes and I was like, well, I'll just keep doing this. Like, I like this. Like, I feel better. And that's when like COVID really started happening. So I was like, man, my luck. Like, I just started getting back in the gym, getting into a routine. Now the gym's gone. So instead of crying about it, I was just like, well, I'll go back to walking. Right. And, um, you know, I still kept posting. What I noticed was happening where a lot more people were going to TikTok suddenly and like following fitness people. And I'm like, oh, it's crazy. So I started doing it, not realizing I was kind of creating a fitness account myself. Well, I saw everybody else like giving instructions on how to do home fitness and stuff. I was like, man, there's a lot of people like myself that just need like a friend, right. you know, that just need, like, you know, like a partner, like a workout buddy, you know. So that's what I did. I said, hey, you know, you guys support me. I'll support you. So originally I was like, if somebody if I walked that day, everybody would like tag me that they walked and I was trying to share their videos originally a couple thousand followers to like 15,000 followers. And I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. And we started building a little community and I was like, well, like a wolf pack is like, that's what we are, right? Like, you know, a typical wolf pack, nobody gets left behind and we're a tight knit family. You know, nobody can just come in. Nobody can just leave, you know, it's a community. But I said, the biggest thing was I made a pack to myself at the beginning of the year, like an actual pack P A C P to, you know, not give up to go 30 days, you know, working out 30 minutes a day, you know, and I said, why don't we kind of merge the two? So that's how like Wolf Pact became kind of our slogan. So like, so I said, why don't we create a Facebook group? You know, would you guys use it? And they're like, sure. Yeah. And then, you know, now it's over 1500 and it's for people who are struggling to get started. Uh, people, you know, that are looking for a friend through this, you know, it's hard when you're trying to lose weight, it's hard, but when you're trying to lose significant weight, it's even harder. So that's what it became. We brought up earlier, a lot of people are so afraid to go to the gym because they're embarrassed. 
you know, they're so afraid to get started because they're embarrassed. They don't know how to get started. When I started seeing this coming through, like, you know, the Facebook group and all my uh, comments on TikTok, it really struck a chord. Like, as an entrepreneur, I've got thick skin. I mean, I've been rejected more times in a year than most people get rejected in their life. You know what I mean? So yeah. that fear, it's not fun. You know what I mean? I mean, like, you can see some of my videos today. There's still people, you know, calling me obese and fat and, you know, you name it, et cetera. So for those handful of comments, there's thousands of comments saying, thank you, you made my day. Thank you, I'm back in the gym because of you. And like, I'll gladly take those arrows from the trolls and stuff in my back if that inspires just one person. That's you know awesome. I mean? Exactly. And that's so worth it, too, even though because, I mean, you can take it, but it's worth it to just affect one life and you're clearly not affecting one person. You're affecting a lot of them. And that's awesome. So if people want to follow that, um, just follow him on Instagram at real Jesse Wolf, W O L F E. And he's got a link tree with all the links to the different social media platforms. If you want to check that out. So definitely awesome what you're doing. Okay. Let's get back to UCF. So like we said earlier, I've been following your story since shark tank, but it goes obviously way before that when you started off, your company at UCF. Take us through kind of how you got started in the whole entrepreneurship, the college of business, and then uh, how that kind of unfolded after college. Yeah, you know, it's kind of crazy because I think I went into college like a lot of kids, you know, not knowing truly what I wanted to do um, because nothing really struck me, you know, struck, struck my fancy, if you will. You know, I didn't want to be a doctor. I didn't want to be a lawyer, that whole card. Like most so, of us, yeah. Um, so at 19... I accidentally started like this boat detailing business, which was awesome, you know, and then, you know, the 08 recession flatlined it for me uh, pretty yep. quickly. And then I, I was hooked, though, like that taught me what I wanted to do, like, oh, I want to be a business owner. So then I was like on the hunt for like the next big thing. Like I knew I didn't want to own a lifestyle business. I wanted to do something. I, I went to UCF. So I actually transferred to UCF from a northern university called Kent State. My parents moved to Florida from Ohio. I was like, yo, I'm out. So I transferred down like my sophomore year. And uh, when I got to UCF, we didn't have a college of business uh, entrepreneurship program yet. It was just kind of blossoming. But there was an office with one professor uh, with hours once a week that you could talk to about entrepreneurship. So I started abusing that, came up with all kinds of ideas that ultimately failed. And then <laughs> after the third year, I had my wisdom teeth pulled out. Came up with the idea for Odang Hummus when I was trying to look for like a buffalo wing flavored creamy dip to eat that I could chew, <laughs> you know, having to actually eat wings. And, uh, you know, I went home and I kind of put some Frank's Red Hot and some blue cheese and some hummus. And I was like, oh, this is good. And then my <laughs> friends thought it was good. My family thought it was good. I made all kinds of concoctions. And then that spring semester when I got back, um, you know, to UCF, uh, we I was taking a business plan writing class. That writing class, you know, you had to come up with an idea. I submitted the idea for Odang. The class literally like broke out into a fight over it. Like, you <laughs> know, who's going to be on my team? I was like, holy crap, man, I might have something here. Yeah. So we yeah, formed a team, wrote the business plan. And at the end of it, every spring, UCF has the, um, the joust. It's our big business plan competition. First prize is like $55,000 of cash and like resources, which is a big deal. So... I had been rejected two years before with business ideas. Truthfully, the third year, I was like, F this, dude. I'm not submitting this again. Like, you know, I'm not doing it again. Um, <laughs> but I had a, a, a teacher, a professor, who took the, the day off by chance. This lady, like, stepped in. 
was like, no, you've got a good idea. You need to submit that. It was like one of my last classes for that semester too. And uh, I told her how I'd been rejected. And she's like, doesn't matter. Like, I'll be disappointed if you don't do it. So she talked me into it, submitted that night, got in, ultimately placed third overall. And I think I won like four grand cash nice. from that uh, Yeah, from that contest. But you proved that you had like a business model that actually could have some legs and, and, and work. So what did you do from there? Yeah, well, that was kind of really eye-opening because when I started like uncorking like the concept of a hummus company, I realized that it was a billion-dollar category. Like, no kidding, $1.2 billion that year. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and the leader, Sabra, owned like 78% of the market, and they were doing the same five flavors. And I'm like, this makes no sense. So I took the money, and I started – I went and bought a really terrible, you know, kidnapper-looking Astrovan. I bought like <laughs> – 12 food processors and a big ass cooler. And we started making hummus out of my apartment and uh, ultimately taking them to our first farmer's market where I was like, Hey, it's one thing to give away hummus, but it's a completely different story to ask somebody to open the wall and hand me a $5 bill for it. So um, we went to a farmer's market. Finally, I mean, we got rejected by a ton of them, but we got one to give us a chance and we sold out. That market was like eight hours long. We sold out in the first two hours. So that and I was like, Holy shit, man. I think I'm onto something. That's that's awesome. So when you say we, is this still your team from the Joust competition? No, dude. So crazy story. So, you know, obviously like I came with the idea and everything, and then as we wrote the business plan, it started unfolding and I it was three girls. And I told the three girls, I'm like, you know, hey, you guys help me write the business plan. Like, I really don't want to be a solo entrepreneur. Like it's not as much fun as people think. I was like, anybody wanna like do this? And all <laughs> three of them were like no, we're good. And I'm like, ouch. No, no, no. Yeah. I was like, no, like for real, like this is gonna be a lot of fun. Like, you know, we can do this and this. And they're like, no, we got our grades. Like, thank you. This has been awesome, but best of luck. You know what I mean? And I was like, okay. Right. <laughs> and it was just me. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. once you actually started selling it for money is when you realized that you really had something with potential. Like it wasn't just something you could give away and people are like, oh, this tastes good. People are willing to purchase it. How do you start scaling this? and trying to get sales and how do you end up in shark tank well that's what's kind of crazy it was like in a year yeah so we launched in like basically like april may of 2014 is when we hit our first farmer's market okay so almost a year had gone by since we won the joust you know 2013 that whole year going into 2014 we couldn't find a farmer's market to get us in like everyone kept telling us no we finally got in the market it started selling I, I throttled down, man. As soon as we got into one, I went right back to all the ones that rejected us and said, we're selling, you know, hundreds of tubs an hour of hummus. How about now? And they were like, oh, shit. Okay, yeah, yeah. come on in. <laughs> so we, all the ones that rejected us started letting us in. So we got back into like 10 farmer's markets in our first three months. And we were using that cash flow to reinvest back into the business to make it grow. So what I quickly realized was, yeah, I could have like a really nice life, like selling like hummus at the farmer's market. But then I was like, well, let's go check out like the grocery store side of things. Ooh. So we were still, so the craziest story, bro. And this is where I utilized UCF like crazy. I cold called Publix and I got it, you know, a number off of the internet, cold called Publix. And I'm like, Hey, can I talk to your hummus buyer? And they hung up on me. And I was like, okay. So, <laughs> You know, thanks to my college education, realized I had a gatekeeper on my hands. 
So I called back up and I got on LinkedIn and I just was trying to find anybody around my age that went to UCF that now worked at Publix. And I found this poor guy that was in the floral buying department. Uh, his name was like Mike or something. And I said, Hey, can I get like Mike Flanders, whatever his name was, um, in floral? And she was like, Oh yeah. Okay. And I was like, sweet. So I hit this guy with like the most BS spiel ever. I said, <laughs> Mike, what's up, dude? I was like, my name is Jesse Wolf. Do you remember me, dude? I was like, we had psychology together at UCF. I love and it. Like, Fake it till you make it. Bro, so, yeah, exactly. And psychology is like the biggest like Yeah, everyone has camp. that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I said, dude, do you remember like we studied, like we, you know, we had, remember those girls we sat next to? I was like, anyways, bro. Yo, I'm selling these farmers markets. My hummus is killing it. And I thought I got to reach out to Mike and he goes, bro. And he like totally bought it. He goes, <laughs> he, he was just like, yo dude. Yeah. I remember you, you know, I'm, you're killing it, man. <laughs> um, so I said, yeah, dude. I was like, can I, can I send you hummus? And he goes, dude, I'm not the guy you want to talk to. You want to talk to Michelle over in this department extension two one six six or whatever. And I said, Oh Mike, thanks dude. I was like, Hey, no way you could transfer me. And he goes, yeah, sure, man. I was like, we gotta get a beer soon. He goes, sure, right? Last you ever <laughs> so, talked to him? <laughs> it was. It honestly was, which is kind of funny. So he transfers me, and the, the lady answers, and I go, "Hi, my name is Jesse Wolf. I'm from a company called Odang Hummus. Mike saw me at a farmer's market, saw how big our line was, and said that I needed to talk to you." I love this. <laughs> I, I absolutely happened. love this, dude. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> So that's how we got our first meeting with Publix, and I couldn't have done it more wrong if I tried, right? And we were not prepared for it. But <laughs> um, that's part of the experience, though. You know, it was, man. I mean, when I say I got a PhD in in entrepreneurship now, I mean this is some of the the backlash. Yeah. So you know, she gave us a meeting more or less, and and we went in, had the meeting, and she. It's weird. She said no to our hummus dips, but she said yes to this new product called hummus dressing, which we were weren't even real at the time. We just like made in my kitchen before the meeting. So you were trying to compete with Sabra who had like the monopoly on the hummus and they're like, all yeah. right, we like, you're not that different. They have a brand you don't, but then you're like, Oh, let me show I can differentiate by these dressings because people, I guess had been telling you that they were using it kind of as a salad dressing. And all of a sudden there's this new market that you pretty much created and they bought into it. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. So we started using the farmer's markets as basically a giant R&D facility that paid us, right? So, you know, we were going there. We were listening to the feedback, trying new flavors, trying new products. People kept saying, yep, we're using our hummus as salad dressing. I'm like, well, it's gloppy. So we basically tried to reformulate it to where it poured a lot thinner, and uh, people loved it. So when we went to that Publix meeting, I brought them with me. Literally, it was just an idea at the time. Like, I went to the store, to Publix. Bought someone else's dressings, poured them down the drain, washed their bottles, put my dressing in them, capped them, and then printed the labels at Office Max and went to the meeting. Like, that's that's what we did. Wow. And, and yeah, that's ultimately what we did is we – here's the scoop Sabra, which is owned by PepsiCo. A lot of people don't know that. PepsiCo is a large stakeholder in Sabra. And we weren't just battling Sabra. We were battling Pepsi. So they weren't allowing the shelf space – to uh, be rearranged, which kept our hummus out. So ultimately what we ended up doing was kind of uh, Roman horsing the grocery store. And I said, well, if they won't let us in the hummus case, I'll put hummus everywhere else that they're not. 
Uh, and that started with the salad dressings, which I didn't really see it coming. It was just really good timing. The Impossible Burger and Beyond Meat Burgers were coming up hot and fast, and they were huge companies. So our dressings exploded right as uh, alternative meats became a thing. So we were truly the first plant-based salad dressing, right? No dairy, no eggs, you know, uh, really high-quality olive oil to hit the market in the first time in history, which is great. You were pouring vegetables on your vegetables. So I hear this a lot, but I think this is a great example of like how success is not, it's like luck combined with hard work. And you got lucky with the timing with a lot of this stuff, but you also, I mean, just from the stories you just told, I mean, you worked your ass off to get to these places and you you faked it when you had to. And uh, it's just an ultimate entrepreneur success story. So you get into Publix and you then, I guess, apply for Shark Tank. Or tell me about the whole Shark Tank process. Yeah, so it was a disaster. Uh, <laughs> you know, we were we were in the Entrepreneur Incubator at UCF, and which was awesome. It was like a little fraternity, uh, you know, with like seven different businesses in there at the time. We're all having dinner one night in January, and the girl that was in another startup, one of my friends, she was like, hey, do you guys hear Shark Tank's coming to town? This is January 2015, so we've only been in business like, seven months. Mm-hmm. And I said, Oh, that's dope. I'm like, are you going to go down and audition? And she goes, no, it's in Miami, but you should. And I said, you know, Caroline, I, there's no way. Like, you know what I mean? I don't, I'm not ready for that. She was Jesse, you have like 70 grand in sales. You're totally ready for this. I was like thinking about it. I'm like, you know, as we're at the markets, everyone kept telling us, you know, Oh, you guys should be on shark tank. You guys should be on shark tank. So I was like, it would be funny to go down from like a PR stunt, you know, like yeah, yeah. social media. Well, so the Shark so Tank, we, the, the Shark Tank effect is real though. For people that don't end up getting deals done, the PR from it is huge either way. So I like your, where your head was at with that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just, you know, dangling the bracelet was like, it drove our uh, farmer's market fans just bananas, right? So we go down, we audition. It was a blast. I mean, it was a lot of fun. And I leave and that day they tell you, Welcome to Shark Tank Auditions. We might call you in two weeks, two months, two years. Hey, we might never call you. The odds are we're probably not going to call you. So just move on with your life. I'm like, <laughs> all right. Two weeks later, man, I'm driving to UCF to go to class. And uh, I get a call from a California number. Sure enough, it's it's one of the directors, the casting directors for Shark Tank. And she's like, hey, you know, you were awesome. We loved you guys. Do you want to move forward? And I was like, hell yeah. You know, it was crazy, man. It was absolutely crazy. And then imagine, we started yeah. talking to Publix. Yeah, at the same time, it was just nuts. So so both of those things kind of happened at the same time. Tell me about the TV show. Like, you go, I know you go on there. There's got to be a ton of, like, stuff that goes on off, like, behind the scenes. So you come in, you ask for 50 grand for 10%, right? Have you already given yep. the Sharks all your financials? Or, like, I have so many questions about the show. No, please. And honestly, like, I'll start off. That show is so authentic and real. Like nothing is scripted. Really? Uh, that's the, oh, it is as real as it gets, man. It is literally an investor board meeting that they just film and then cut down to a, a time slot. So after you make the deal, then there's still a lot of like negotiation and stuff that has to happen with like the paperwork and, and the wording of the contracts, I'm, I'd assume, right? Yeah. So like to answer your first question, they don't know who you are when you walk through the door because if they knew like who I was and they were interested, they would just make a deal right away to cut the other ones out. They have no idea who walks to that door next. And in retrospect, I don't have an idea who my sharks are until 10 minutes before I walk out there. It's very blind. And when you walk in the room, 
like my friend, he's got uh, he's invested by Ashton Kutcher. He's like, I walked up there, you know, Mark Cuban, I see Ashton Kutcher on the other side. He's like, I about blacked out. He's like, holy shit, it's Ashton Kutcher. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Chuck. Yeah, and then, yeah, so my episode's like 13 minutes long, but I was in there for almost four hours. Oh, wow. And, yeah, I mean, all kinds of stuff happens, you know, that they don't get a chance to put in the show. I mean, they get to know you. They're asking you who you are, where you're from, how you created the business. Um, you know, then they're asking you a million business questions, like always. Uh, you know, about your numbers and your sales and how you come up with this and what's the future look like and how are you as a CEO? I mean, you name it, they'll ask you. And, and it's intense, man. It really is. Like, I mean, and then, you know, to boot, you're going through that stressful situation and to your left, there's like 45 cameras and like 100 people in this dark area, you know, all watching you while you do this, which is pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, I bet. So you ended up with Robert, right? And yeah. was it Lori Barbara? Grenier. Yeah, Lori, Lori Grenier. Lori, Lori I, the yeah. QVC lady. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they made me a deal on TV for um, 20% equity, 50 grand. And like the money really wasn't that big to us at the time because we were okay from a day to day cash flow. And we were small. Like we only had, when I went on the show, we only had like $75,000 of sales. Mm -hmm. So You're, we couldn't ask for this like ridiculous you, valuation. You want, you, the, know? you want the people and what they, what they bring, the value of what they bring is way more than the, the 50K, which is, is pennies when you look at it in the grand scheme of things, right? It is. And Lori and Robert, and they cut it out on TV. Lori and Robert actually offered 20%, $50,000 and... The big one was purchase order financing. So I would never have to go to a bank or anybody else to fund my purchase orders. And we had Publix teed up for like, I don't know, it was like a $400,000 purchase order that I didn't have the funding for. Oh. So I was like, no brainer, man. I was like, if they're going to fund my purchase orders, like done. You that's, know what I mean? Like that's, that's a huge win. That's awesome. Okay. So you make the deal on the show. What's the timeline like after that? Does your world just get flipped upside down the next day? Or like how quickly do you become or do you go from like this local farmer's market, not even regional, like, you know, local type brand to this nationwide thing? And I know you had the Publix thing in works, but like how quick does working with the Sharks blow your business up, I guess is my question. So it was almost a year and a half exactly from the day we started our first farmer's market that we in essence blew up. Okay. So I went and auditioned in January from January to June when I filmed in LA in June, right. Which is where I first met them and we did the deal during that time. I was also running Odang and talking to Publix. So when I went in June to film, I had already had Publix like teed up. They're basically, we're waiting on a purchase order from them. We're waiting on them to say yes. When I get back literally the next week from LA, I from public saying we want your product you need to deliver it october i was like okay that's plenty of time i'm good four months and, yeah, and five months four. the next week uh laura grenier calls me and we start the process of trying to you know go through our documents go through our paperwork you know and sign the deal so all of this is happening at once right and ultimately what happened was laura grenier pulled out of the purchase order financing um which was a big thing for us so we had CFE, right, uh, the bank here in town, uh -huh. come through and they're like, hey, if we could trade you, you know, we'll bank you as a bank. We just want to put you on some, you know, flyers, you know, tell the world that, you know, we helped you grow. You know, in exchange, we'll give you a line of credit. And I'm like, sure. Done. Yeah, you know, what? <laughs> more or less. Yeah. 
So I went back to Lori and, and uh, Hershevac and I was like, well, I have like funding now. So either, you know, you guys want to stay on board as, you know, basically faces, you exactly. know, and business partners. Yeah. Yeah. And they were, no, they wanted their, like, they raised the equity and all kinds of stuff. And I was like, okay, that's not my cup of tea. Like I'm good. So we parted ways. I still talk to Lori every once in a while. She's cool. They're good people. Just didn't work. Yeah, and, no, it's uh, a, it's business. It happens. But, so that's crazy. So you went on Shark Tank. You, in essence, won, but then you ne- yeah. didn't actually end up selling any equity to the Sharks. No, no. And what's crazy is of all the deals that go on the show, 40% get yeses or deals on TV. Of those 40%, another 40% actually close. So you name it, I know almost everybody that's been on the show. We're like in a well, a fraternity. Very private ABC. Yeah. yeah. ABC has like a private Facebook group for us that like we're all invited to. So now, you know, after being on it, I've talked to a lot of people about who's actually got sharks and who doesn't. But for us, October 2nd was when Odang blew up. And that night that we aired on TV, it was crazy, dude. We, you know, we had the yes from Publix. We had funding for the purchase order. We're making product. And then Shark Tank does not tell you if you're going to air. So they give you a just enough information on a week-to-week basis. So after we, we left, they were like, hey, there's 26 episodes, which is 26 weeks. You're probably going to be on one of them, but there's a chance you might not actually air. It depends on where you fit in. And we'll call you 10 days ahead of schedule from when you're supposed to air. That's just mean. So I'm <laughs> oh, it, it sucks, dude. It sucks so bad. So we put together like a war plan of like, I guess if we get the call, here's what we'll do. Right. That's smart. Yeah. We went to work like trying to fill the public's order, right? The worst perfect storm happened. So public's is going well. The order's being made. You know, it's funded. Things are good. I met another guy locally here in Sanford who um, also was on the show. I'm helping him in essence prepare because he got the call that he was going on week one. In the middle of his prepare uh, uh, preparation week, I get the call that I'm going on week two. Wow. <laughs> that is the exact same time that we are delivering for Publix, like the exact same week and everything. So we go on TV. We did, up to that point, Sean, we did like a hundred grand in revenue, I think, that year, 2015. We literally did, the night of Shark Tank, 150 grand in three minutes on top of that. Wow. Oh, I'd love to hear yeah. that, man. I, I just got goosebumps. That's so freaking cool. Bananas, dude. But the worst part was is I just sold 150 grand of product I didn't have, right? <laughs> I had to go to Publix. This is where shit really hit the fan. I had to go to Publix and tell them, hey, obviously, you know, we aired. We were basically a Publix commercial to some degree. Mm-hmm. And I said, I got to delay your order. I'm so sorry. You're opening order. Like, I have to send all this out to these fans. Otherwise, I'm going to look like Bernie Madoff. Yeah. You know what I mean? You really, you have um, to, you have to choose right there. And that's a tough decision to make. But if you don't send it to the fans, then you lose everyone that's building up your company at this time. Exactly. Publix was cool. They were understanding about it to some degree, right? I mean, they, they definitely were not thrilled, but they were understanding. And our poor, you know, manufacturing facility was just buried. I mean, we buried them for like three months and like, October turned to like December before we actually got it into stores, but we fought through it. It wasn't pretty, but we got it done. You know what I mean? So I wish 
the timing was a little more forgiving, but, uh, you know, I wouldn't change anything at this point. Yeah, I mean, in the end, you ended up on Shark Tank. You filled the public's order. Uh, everything, you know, the timing sucked, but, you know, everything you wanted ended up happening. Um, so now we're, so now this is, is this the dressing that you're filling the orders for? Or are you still on the hummus? I'm kind of lost in my own no, timeline. You- that's it was it was everything we sold online was only dressings because the hummus was just too hard to ship. Yeah. Uh being refrigerated. Oh and okay. Publix, again because Asabra told us no on the hummus, but yes to the dressing. So everything that sold at the time was dressings, but we were still trying to push hummus, which ultimately down the road we ended up killing off quietly in a strategic move to go after Sabra. And that's what, I mean, we blew up stage one in October of 2015, but in uh, June of 2017 is where Odang became like a force to reckon with. I mean, that's where we really blew up. And that's, and that was, um, that was your big, that, that was the big pivot, right? That you kind of made, you said, Hey, we're not hummus anymore. Yeah. So we went to, we went to Walmart, we landed this like massive deal with Walmart. They rolled us out nationwide and at first, it was supposed to be the hummus, and then they came back and said, hey, actually, we're going to hold off on the hummus, but we'll take these salad dressings. And it was at that time when I looked at, like, why this kept happening, and I realized that Sabra was really beating us up, and we found out that Sabra was basically threatening every retailer. If they touched their slotting on the hummus, they would pull Pepsi products out of the grocery store that was, you know, trying to do that. So they had ultimate so like, leverage on you guys, and there's nothing you yeah. can do. Yeah. Yeah, so I said, we're going to quietly stop doing hummus. We're not going to tell a soul, not even our fan base. We're going to let everybody believe we do hummus. And for the next year, we're going to put our heads down, and we're only going to sell salad dressings. And we would go to trade shows. We'd pop up all these, like, dude, it was so funny. Because at the trade shows, all the competition comes in scoops out, like, what you're launching. <laughs> so I would, I would make up shit so wild that they were sending over their food scientists trying to figure out how this was possible. Oh, my God. Like I, had a, I love this. Yeah, <laughs> just, just derail them. So I had, like, a zero-calorie hummus. That's scientifically <laughs> possible. And they were like, oh, my God, like, there's no way. And I said, no, we've got the best scientists in the world. Zero-calorie hummus. They were so perplexed that they weren't even paying attention to the dressing. Exactly. And, then when, the buyers, yeah. and when the buyers came over that we needed – We'd go, oh, don't worry about that. Like, that's just a joke. You know what I mean? And we'd say, hey, look at these new dressings. And we'd sell the show these dressings. So 2017, we were in like 400 stores. By the end of 2017, going into 2018, um, the end of 2018, we ended up in like 4,000 stores. 2019, we were in almost 10,000 stores. Whoa. You know, and this year, we, we're still climbing. And it was all because we... We Roman horse, you know, we stopped doing hummus at like the end of 2017, focused on the dressings. And then we ultimately made a pivot to be a plant-based condiment company off the backbone of hummus. So we use hummus, if you will, as a base for, you know, the salad dressings. We have a new mayo that's out. That's the new base for that and so on and so forth. Right. All right. So that leads me to my next question then. So I've, like I said, I've been following your journey. I see that Recently, you said you are no longer CEO of Odang, and I see they've gone through like a whole rebranding, you know, the Mayo thing, whatever. But talk me through like your journey from, I guess, you know, CEO and I'm assuming majority shareholder to 
I guess you probably sold equity at a bunch of points. Like that whole process is, is very interesting to me. Uh, kind of how did all that unfold? And then how did you end up now where you have no uh, management control? Yeah. So, you know, I was very strategic with how we were going to raise money when and with who, because I quickly realized that I was in over my head from a CPG space, which is consumer packaged goods, which is pretty much anything in a grocery store that you can make. So that's mm-hmm. the space I, created and, and selling, if you will. So what I realized, and one of my favorite quotes is by Steve Jobs, which is surround yourself with people smarter than you, because it would take me 10 years to try to learn what I needed to to grow a gang as fast as it wanted to, right? So when it came time to, you know, we went through the bank funding, when that was working, but then orders started coming in that the bank would not fund because they were just too big. Wow. And I was like, well, yeah, it's, it's time to raise money. You know what I mean? Like, yep. we have to do this. So we we looked around, I popped hoods, and what I found was a, a local VC, ironically, locally here in Orlando, that uh, the founder was just coming off of an exit um, of, a, of a pretty big food brand himself. He was creating a VC, he reached out to me, he was interested in my product, and we started talking. And it was pretty much a perfect, ideal relationship because here's this, you know, 55-year-old guy, veteran, you know, food guy uh, with a bunch of exits under his belt. And I'm like, you know, uh, the rookie coming up to the ranks with a hot idea. And so we went in partnership, 50-50 coming out of the gates. Um, And again, you know, we needed to raise a big chunk of money to keep it funded. So it wasn't my dream first round. And again, I made a lot of mistakes, you know, not knowing really how to raise money at that time period. But um, it's the one that made the most sense to me because it was very strategic at the time. So as we continue to go forward and grow the business, you know, I lead on him more of a partner and a VC than just like a hands-off, you know, VC would be where they just dump cash and, and hope for the best. But, you know, we started kind of having turmoil. And to me, you know, 25 years younger than him, for instance, and I'm a millennial. Well, I'm very good, you know, personally, I think I'm very good at studying trends, anticipating trends, creating an, an R&D side of food innovation, something I, I figured out a knack for. So, you know, his whole thing was he was kind of old school, and he wanted us to be more along the lines of a economical, like, competitive brand to Hidden Valley Ranch. I wanted to be what we were, plant-based, made with real vegetables, and yeah, we weren't going to be a three ninety nine salad dressing because we we couldn't. I mean, we paid more for that, you know, to make it. Instead, I wanted to be a six ninety nine product. And you know, the idea was we brought really high quality health food to you that tasted really freaking good. And I thought that was a pretty reasonable price four ninety nine to six ninety nine. That's not that um, much, really. It's not, you know. And if you go to the grocery store nowadays, look at the better for you food. That's the space I'm in in CBG is the better for you. Exactly. You're not in the cheapo off-brand 299 you know fat-free salad dressing that tastes like chemicals you're in the nicer stuff and your target market is the people that pay more than the bottom line price for anything you know for the good stuff and that's me included i I loved when your hummus came to Publix. by the way thank you thank you i mean and that's where that's where we started as you know the vc started butting heads with me you know because they were like you need to make it cheaper we need to lower the price point and i started fighting back i'm like "I, i won't I won't cheapen the product. I just won't. Nope. You know what I mean? Like, that's not who I am. If I don't eat it, I won't sell it. You know what I mean? 
and it's something I need to believe in. So ultimately, you know, 2019 started off okay, and then, you know, a lot of it kind of started getting rocky because we were butting heads on the future of the company. The company was exploding with growth, and VC was, you know, really stepping in and trying to take it over because, you know, they were like, holy shit, here's this young and experienced guy running this, you know, multi-million dollar overnight, you know, quote-unquote overnight. It was you know, five years in the making. Um, but you but, had no, you know, your, your resume is only Odang, though. You haven't, like, built up companies and, and sold them and stuff. And I'm not defending them, but I see where they're coming from. Although you wouldn't have gotten to where you were without you being who you are. Exactly, exactly. And you know, to your point, Sean, my whole thing was like, listen, you know, I'm cool bringing in a veteran CEO. You know what I mean? Like, let's bring in a veteran CEO. But I would like to have a say, you know, on who we bring in as well. Like, I'm all about partnership and being mutual. But it was very one-sided because they were like, well, you know, we've wrapped up all the money in this, et cetera, et cetera. They weren't allowing me to really bring in other VC uh, VCs to help back the brand. You know, there's a lot more under the hood, uh, you know, that I talked about for hours. But, you know, when it came down to I was like, listen, my only request is I wanted to be a CEO that I like and that I want to work with because I still want to stand next to them and learn, right? Like, that was my big thing. Odang is, you know, going to be my PhD, so... When I made an exit, I can go do this all over again, bigger, faster, stronger, with credibility, et cetera. Um, and ultimately, you know, when it came down to it at the end of 2019, we really came to a tough crossroad, you know, and going into the beginning of the year, you know, I was I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. You know what I mean? Like, you guys are tying my hands behind my back. I'm not going to put my name on on, you know, the innovation and the changes you guys want to put forward. You know, so it's either we can come together to, you know, come to an agreement or we cannot. And uh, unfortunately, they wouldn't agree to, you know, any changes. I tried to buy them out. They wouldn't let me buy them out. And, you know, we're still working on, you know, that end of it for me. But as a CEO, you know, I, in essence, stepped down in like almost January of 2020 quietly. You know, we were trying to figure out how to resolve it. But we never came to a crossroads, so I, you know, I officially made the announcement last month, and uh, you know, it sucks. It's not the dream I had, you know, for Odang and for the uh, the exit I planned for Odang. But it's, it's um, not exactly a nightmare, though. <laughs> yeah, it could have been worse, right? I've I've seen a lot of other companies that have, you know, just belly flopped, and you know, you know, everyone's lost everything. Exactly. But uh, you know, I went through the emotions. You know, like almost all year, you know what I mean? Of, of, you know, mad, angry, sad, you know, whatever, excited, optimistic. But at this point in time, I'm good. You know what I mean? Like, I'm excited. I'm glad to You know, that. I'm a free agent. Yeah, I'm a free agent, if you will. And I've learned so much over the last six, seven years that uh, I plan on doing this all over again, like in the very near future, actually. And I, I love to hear that. And now, obviously, you know, you've got some capital. The most important thing, I think, here to come out of this is, you know, the Shark Tank network, I think. Now you're in with a bunch of other like-minded entrepreneurs and you have access to, you know, these startups and you have, you know, probably, I'm assuming, some money to put into them and also the experience and stuff too. And like you said, you can, you can do it all over and you can probably do it better with knowing everything that you know now, um, whereas it's crazy that you navigated this whole thing kind of by yourself uh on trial and error you know the first time which is what everyone i guess has to do but uh you ended up definitely being super successful 
Thanks, babe. Yeah, it, it's definitely you know, the the money payout side is still looming. You know, right now I'm uh, and that's a silent majority or a silent owner, if you will. Right. Um, so you just have equity. Yeah. So I've got my my well, I don't know what to call it, phantom equity, if you will, or whatever you want to call it. Um, or it's not phantom equity. It would just be you know I'm a silent you have, uh, investor. If you yeah, will. you have no say in anything. Right. So, but to your point, right? You know, I. Uh, the network that I've built, the people I've met along the way, I mean, dude, I have met some of the most incredible people beyond successful, like people I dream of being in my life. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you put out good, you do good, you get good back. And, you know, when I made the announcement, so many of them reached out and, you know, they're there for me, you know, which is incredible. So when I say I'm excited, like the next thing I'm doing Odang was big. I mean, Odang was a dream come true in so many ways. But I had a goal in mind to create a $100 million revenue brand. And I wasn't able to drive Odang to that. And that's still a vendetta I have. So, right. you know, that's, that's on the docket. <laughs> so, that, so that's awesome. See, I'm looking at your story and I'd be like, dude, I'd be retired. I'd be in the islands right now. I'd be like, F you to everyone. I'm never answering a phone call or doing a BS meeting again. But you're hungry for more. And I think that's what makes you so successful is you never settled. When you got into, you know, a thousand stores, you were never like, hey, I made it. You got into 4,000 and and then 10,000 and you kept going and you're still hungry for more. And I think that's really part of what makes you such a successful entrepreneur and you're already thinking about the next step so that's awesome it's crazy man it's like you know i don't the only hobbies i have are ucf football and and really work and and i don't want to sound like a workaholic i mean i genuinely just enjoy entrepreneurship i mean i read about it i watch movies about it you know like so to me you know like the money the money that comes and goes with it is awesome obviously but holy shit man it is fun i mean like i've never really done a drug in my life but if i had to compare i mean it's a drug you know what I mean? Like there's when, when you have the, the good days, it is the highest of highs. I mean, like the adrenaline rush you get when you land a deal from like Walmart or, you know, you score something big like that. So then the, the, the lowest of lows, you know, like when shit just look, like goes south and you're, I mean, you're just down, man. And it's the worst. Um, you know, it's that ebb and flow, that roller coaster. That's just, it's unexplainable, man. It is just the wildest ride. I mean, I believe you because the most relatable thing I have is we got we landed um a first watch sponsorship, like first watch, the whole company, not like a local one, for this podcast wow. about two weeks ago. And it's not about the money, obviously. This is a side thing from you know what I do for a living, but that feeling like when we lock that in and they're like, yo, send us a um send us an invoice to accounts receivable, and I'm like what? I don't even know what to do. I'm like, this is so, I was smiling. (laughs) I was smiling ear to ear. So I can only imagine what it feels like when, you know, public says yes. And Walmart says yes. And and all that. It's definitely got to be better than any drug that's out there. And uh, it sounds like it's addicting too. uh, Cause you're, you're not, you know, you're not retiring and going off into the distance. You're, you're ready for more. And, uh, and that's awesome, man. That's, that's what makes your story so cool. I appreciate it, brother. Congrats to you as well. I I appreciate that. Thank you so much for joining the show. Uh, I really appreciate it. This is definitely not athletics, but it's actually something I'm really passionate about on the side as well. And after we go off here, I got to show you this new business thing that I'm starting, which I'm not going to tell anyone yes, about please. besides you. 
I think you're going to like it, though. <laughs> so anyway, long story short, thank you so much. Follow him on Instagram, at Real Jesse Wolf, W-O-L-F-E, right? E. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> that wasn't a question. Uh, thanks again for joining the show, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, dude. And we're back. That was fun. <laughs> I'm telling you, that red pepper hummus dressing promoting Bon Appetit. It's all, it's all good, and it was really cool to hear about how he actually pivoted from hummus to salad dressing, and that's when they actually blew up because he found kind of a new market. And, uh, you know, the timing with the vegan stuff, the Beyond Burgers and everything getting popular – Really cool to see how he figured that all out. And, uh, you know, like we said it at the end. He's uh, he's just getting started. So I'm excited to see what he gets his hands in next. He said his goal is a $100 million company. So we'll see what's next. All right. Next up, it's time for our favorite segment, Money Moves Picks of the Week. Money Moves Picks of the Week. At least somebody went 1-0 last week. It was me with the easy cover of the over in the UCF game. Yes, we didn't have a podcast last week, but in that case, you have to make sure to follow follow me on Twitter at MoneyMoodUCF. Because every now and then, when we got too much going on in the world that we won't have a podcast, I will have an official pick. And you want to make sure that you're following me so you get it. And you won't miss winners like last week. I said it was going to be an easy cover. What was it like? Seventy-five was the over. Yeah, ninety-nine. I took it's the like, under. Well, I didn't take it. I just said the under. And why? Uh, I thought defense. I'm I'm about to I'm about to hit my stride for the season. I'm really honing in on these on these picks now. So we're five, four, and one on the year, and uh. Things are looking up. So this week, I got a home cooking special for you guys. All mm. home teams. Nope. <laughs> All right. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Back to our full slate of the three pick week this week. All right. Starting them off with Oklahoma State minus three and a half against Iowa State. Fraud alert. We have a fraud alert. Iowa State, yeah, they beat Oklahoma, they beat TCU, and they beat Texas Tech. Their only loss is to Louisiana Lafayette. Oklahoma State defense, however, is actually the stronger side of the ball. No offense to running back Chuba Hubbard. Oklahoma State's defense is only allowing eight points a game, and they'll give Brock Purdy fits in the secondary. Saddle up and take the Cowboys. I like saddle up. Good bar. <laughs> Three and a half is just like not enough points. Yeah. They should be favored by way more. It makes no sense. Iowa State, a fraud. Fraud. Brock Purdy, fraud. Ain't going to be Shuba Purdy. Sugar Hubbard runs all over. Ain't going to be Purdy. All right. Second pick. Boston College. Minus three and a half against Georgia Tech. One thing we've learned since Georgia Tech beat Florida State is they're good. They suck. Oh. <laughs> Wait, we they beat them. <laughs> yeah, they suck. They got absolutely manhandled by Clemson. 
Okay, the number one team, though. They also beat FSU, who beat the number five team. So, we picked Boston College before when you wanted to go against me with the Pittsburgh bet. Turns out you were wrong. <laughs> so, Boston College, sneaky good team. Take them again and fly with the Eagles. Like Seal. The last pick is going to be the SMU Mustangs, minus two and a half against Cincinnati. 5-0 and SMU versus 3-0 and Cincy. I'll set it once, and I'll say it again. Cincinnati is a massively overrated team. Shane Bichelle and the Mustangs look to be firing on all cylinders, and I can see this one getting out of hand quickly. What the hell is the quarterback name of Cincy? Oh, um, that's uh, he's so bad I can't even remember his name. Nibbler or something. Oh, no. D- Des- Rid- Ritter. 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 <laughs> Dude, I, Desmond I, Nibbler. I, no, I, the stadium's called Nipper. I like combined. Oh. <laughs> Desmond Ritter Can't guaranteed throw. throws two at least two picks. So take SMU minus two and a half. And I'll recap the picks real quick. Oklahoma State minus three and a half. Boston College minus three and a half. And SMU minus two and a half. Let's get, get that, that money. money. All right, guys, we're going to wrap this up. That was a very long uh, episode and interview and can only complain about uh, two losses in a row so much. We don't want to hear that. You got anything else? Uh, a little built by UCF update. Unfortunately, a tough loss for Tristan Hill. It was confirmed earlier this week. He did does have a torn ACL. Yeah, he um he FaceTimed me from like practice or something yesterday uh to talk about the Memphis game and had a UCF beanie on. So for those of you guys thinking he didn't really like the school, you're wrong. He's still supporting us over in Dallas. Uh, but yeah, best wishes to him. That stinks, but luckily ACL now is like 100% recovery pretty much. So hopefully he'll come back, you know, bigger, faster, stronger, and uh, ready to eat next season. Anything else? Voting? Um, what, Everybody go vote. No. <laughs> the polls. Oh. Or, oh, the polls. Well, I mean, <laughs> the college. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it was interesting. In the coaches poll this week, Somehow, some way, we still had received one vote. Uh, Georgia, I don't know who. Georgia O'Leary still has a ballot, maybe? No, there's no way. Who do you think it was? I have no idea. Mike Leach. I mean, we do have the number one offense in the country. That counts. That's why we get one vote. One team, one heartbeat, one coaches poll vote. I guess. One and no, baby. Go one and no and voting or something. Yeah, I don't know. That's weird. Um, hey, you know, we got some good stuff to look forward to. I, I meant to say this with your picks. You know, I'm unfortunately going to be rooting for Cincy to win it out because it could still be a top 10-ish matchup if they do well for the rest of the season. So lots of stuff to look forward to. Two-lane game will be fun. Cincy will be fun. Uh, I encourage you guys to go to the game, support athletics if you can. You know, we're clearly hurting for money, and I – 
I know the tickets are a little more expensive than normal, but also you get to pick your seats if you get there a little early, which was really fun. So, and uh, you know, these boys more than more than ever before with two losses like this need our support. You know, it's easy to support. Everyone wants to be a fan when we're winning, but when the chips are down, you know, the fandom kind of dies down and uh, you know, show up and and support these guys because they're not going to give up and you know, they're they're playing their hearts out for us and unfortunately the scoreboard uh just wasn't in our favor, but that doesn't change anything. So, be a good fan is is what I'm trying to say. No, it doesn't. And, you know, I think of it as like a long term kind of thing. Like, I mean, Jesus, like, were we really going to go undefeated like every single year for forever? No. Was <laughs> it a winnable game? Sure. But there's been a ton of games that we've won that have definitely been losable games. I oh, mean, yeah. <laughs> down 17 to Memphis Twice. two times. Yeah. Uh, Not 21. I don't know. But, but yeah. Some. Mike Hughes doesn't run it back. The hey, hey, hey. you know trade nail interception. There's there's a thousand things that have gone our our way. So it really makes you appreciate like all those things that actually did happen. Um, Even more, yeah. It was. You know, uh... It doesn't make it feel any better right now, but <laughs> no, it makes you appreciate that because you know I remember the when we went thirteen zero that at the time I'm like this might not ever happen again, but then. We ran it back next year until LSU. And yeah, we did get pretty spoiled by that. And we could we could have easily went undefeated last year, but we didn't. But that's football. And that's what makes it so much fun at the same time. There's going to be down years. Those will just make the up years better. I wonder if Alabama ever got sick of winning the national championship. That would get expensive after a while as a fan. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the, I the, mean, to the, me, I don't understand how they get excited for football anymore. Yeah. I, well, you know, I mean, there's no... All right, so the fifth one wasn't as fun as the first one, that's for sure. I mean, I'm sure each one gets a little bit less exciting. It, it just... It's human nature. Um, it has to. It's a law of diminishing marginal utility, I believe. Hey, I'm still smart. Uh, but yeah, every time you use something once over and over again, it's not as cool. Uh, or is exciting. I forgot who said this, but they're like, what type of fan would you rather be? Would you rather be like a Wisconsin fan who they're almost never going to win a national title or even be in the title game, but they're like always 10 and one, 10 and, or 11 and one, 10 and two, or would you rather be like a Marlins fan who, yeah, they win the world series like once every like 15 years, but they're <laughs> completely irrelevant for every other year. I don't know. And I was definitely siding uh, with the Wisconsin, you know, part of it is like, I'd rather be in it all the time than never win. Right. It's a losing mentality. Never. Well, not never win. (laughs) I'm just saying, like, I would rather be in it all the time. See, that's and that's the difference between me and you is you you like like the safe whatever I'm like the risk taking, like screw it. I'll go. I'll have nine bad years for the one, uh, you know, if we get if we make it to the promised land, the one year. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Hey, you know what? We don't have a choice. We can't be Marlins or Wisconsin fans. We're UCF fans, and I love it. And uh, yeah, you know, 
good times, bad times, whatever. Um, we'll be okay. Yeah, I mean, I you know, we woke up on Sunday. I I only brought one hat with me on this mega road trip, and it's a UCF hat, and I put it on, and, you know, we live to see another day. Next week's Tulane. Yeah, Sunday was uh, Sunday was rough, but we'll live, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Lou, have a good vacation, and go Knights. Charge on. Domain Nation. Domain Nation.